Hi, I'm Blake Bryan, and I want to welcome you to the Tomorrowland Church podcast. Uh, this is a podcast to explore innovative ways transformational leaders are leading and reimagining the church for tomorrow. And I'm Mike Goldsworthy, and uh, and we're really excited because this is our inaugural episode with you all. And so we thought as we got going, it'd maybe be a good idea to get to know each other a little bit. And so, Blake, I thought I thought I'd ask you maybe maybe you could help us to know you a little bit better. What's like the sixty second version of who you are and what you do, which I know is a whole lot to cram into one minute. Yeah, my good question. Uh, um, are we using the Greek word to know as in intimately or are we using uh, the, the general English word? You know, I, I'm going to let you kind of decide on your own. You, you own your truth in whatever way works for you. <laughs> That's good. All right. Uh, fair enough, man. Well, hey, yeah, I have the, uh, the privilege of being the president uh, and managing principal at Plain Joe Studios and uh, Plain Joe Studios. Um, you know, we are uh, a, basically a collection of architects, artists, and artisans uh, really focused on kingdom causes. Uh, we say we design story in three dimensions, uh, specifically spatial, strategic, and interactive storytelling. And our hope is, our desire is, is to see our client's story come to life across all three communication platforms that's really concise and cohesive because we realize at the end of the day, everything speaks. Great. Well, and so I um, was a part of a church here in, in Southern California on staff for 19 years, and we partnered with Plain Joe throughout the years in a lot of different ways. And now in a new season of life, one of the things that I'm getting to do is to partner with Plain Joe Studios, and, and a part of that is getting to do this podcast with you. And so I'm excited about this, um, but Blake, I'd love to hear from you, like, what, what are you excited about as we get into some of the Tomorrowland Church podcast? Yeah, I think I think this platform is a unique platform in that we're engaging kind of transformational leaders and opening up kind of that uh, that box, so to speak, of, of ideas uh, that they're thinking through. And, uh, you know, not everybody has the opportunity to ask these questions. And I'm really hopeful uh, throughout this podcast that people are going to give us insights into into their thinking, how they think, um, how they innovate how, uh, you know, how they uh, lead that change through their organization and so on and so forth. So uh, super excited about the people that we're going to have on, on the podcast. Yeah, I'm really excited too. I mean, the, the people that we have been talking to, the people that we have been connecting with who are going to be on the podcast, I, I'm really looking forward to the conversations that happen and for our new friends who are listening now to get to just uh, listen in on some of that. But this name, Tomorrowland Church, um, you came up with this name as we were sort of like uh, brainstorming and trying to come up with some different ways of how we would talk about this. So I'd love for you to just share a little bit about like, where does that name come from? Where does, why Tomorrowland Church? Absolutely. No, great question. Um, you know, with Plain Joe, we have just a deep heritage um, with, with Disney and uh, certainly it's, it's helped us frame some of the things that, that we do. And I love Tomorrowland because it was this idea of this preferred future. What does the preferred future look like? And uh, the idea came from, okay, well, if Tomorrowland had a church, you know, what would that look like? Uh, what, what are some of the ideas that they have implemented, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now that we're not doing right now? Um, but it's just a good framework for us to think through to figure out how we're going to innovate as church, you know? Um, 
the church of today is very different from the church that two decades ago when we started Plain Joe Studios. And so we really want to talk about what is what is the church in two decades from now? I love that. I love I love um, the idea of not just thinking about this moment and how we react to this moment, but but projecting out into the future and being uh, people who are helping to create the future. And even um, when you and I talked a little bit about this, you have shared some of like your desire to see the church as a forward thinking entity. Um, uh, like share, share a little bit of your heart behind that. Yeah. I mean, the church has been such a, 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 an influence uh, just in the culture of the world. Uh, certainly in the early days of the church, I mean, the church had a, a great impact on art, on music, even on healthcare and, and some other things. And unfortunately, I think, um, you know, in the big picture uh, where the church was a cultural leader, I think um, in these last decades, the church has actually become a cultural follower. And so I would love to see um, how, how these church leaders are thinking about how they can innovate and where the church can have a place in, in shaping culture and not just following culture. Great. Yeah, I love that. Well, so today for our first episode, we interviewed a mutual friend of ours who leads a great church here in Southern California, Crossroads Christian Church. His name is Chuck Boer. He's the senior pastor there. And uh, I got to know Chuck years ago, over 20 years ago when I was interning with him, and that will come out some in the episode. And I know, Blake, that you've had a long relationship with Chuck with Crossroads as well. Yeah, no, they've been a great, uh, a, a great partner of ours. You know, I've, I've had um, just the, the blessing and privilege of working with Chuck directly for about a year at Crossroads uh, while I was trying to help him um, kind of shift some things uh, there. But we've been partnered with them uh, for many, many years, one of our first five clients. And so just to see the story of transformation, uh, just from who they were to who they are and how they're really actually leading out um, in, in the city of Corona is really amazing. Uh, and so we're just uh, blessed to be a part of that journey with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great. And I, um, we recorded, we recorded our interview with Chuck in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis, and that's going to come out in there that has really, uh, caused him and his church to be thinking forward about some of how they're going to be engaging in this new reality. So I think, I think you're going to get some really, really great stuff out of this interview with Chuck. So we're going to go ahead and turn it over there for our inaugural interview on Tomorrowland Church. Well, hey, uh, Chuck, it's great to see you. And uh, for those who don't know, uh, we've got uh, Chuck Boer on the line with us today. So we're super excited about that. And uh, Chuck is uh, the, the uh, senior pastor over at Crossroads Christian Church in Corona, California. And uh, Chuck, I know we kind of go way back, man. I'm trying to think, you know, um, just our, our family's history. I know that you knew my parents. And uh, funny enough, we got to work with one another at Crossroads for a period of time. I know you've had a huge influence on me and uh, my business partners, uh, Mel McGowan and Peter McGowan and friends such as uh, Doug Hughes and so forth. So, Man, just uh, super excited to have you on. And, you know, this is kind of our, our voyage trip, so to speak, <laughs> on on the podcast. So you have to forgive us uh, here and there, but we, we really appreciate it, man. And um, if you would, just uh, maybe just take a few minutes and kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of the scope and scale of, of Crossroads Church, how long you've been there, et cetera. That'd be fantastic. 
Um, okay, cool. And by the way, I think what a cool ripple effect because your uncle Mike is the one who was responsible for my becoming a Christian, which wow. led to me meeting your father, which led to me, um, you know, having interacted with you and, and your brother. And um, later on, uh, being a p- big part of Mel and Peter's uh, coming to Christ. So, and um, Eddie too. So just super fun that, um, and we look how it keeps coming back and coming around. Then Mike uh, was my intern at CCV before he yep. had to have an incredible uh, uh, run um, in ministry. So uh, I just love how we have all this interactivity together. But um, I was a youth pastor for years and then became the senior pastor of Christ Church of the Valley in San Dimas which uh, uh, we loved. We were there 19 years. I was like four years as senior pastor, 15 years as youth pastor. Then God called me home to Crossroads, which is my home church. And Blake, you and I got to uh, be a part of, um, uh, of the most, one of the more interesting seasons <laughs> ever. Uh, and That's we right. sought to honor people who needed to get honored, but also repair some things that had to be repaired. Uh, and it was a balancing act uh, uh, in the beginning uh, to the point the church could have closed its doors. But uh, you were a key fi- figure in that not happening, which I praise God for to this day. Um, and so now Crossroads, I believe, has not only survived, we've, we're thriving. And so we've had ups and downs since 2007 when I got there. But it, it's it's an up season now, and uh, we're really excited about where we are. Um, I'll tell you, just if this may feed into what is happening we uh, every year have our elders fast and pray for 40 days. Yeah. And we just ask God to speak to us and then tell us what to do. Three years ago, we really felt uh, led to go online. Uh, and to be honest, we were not <laughs> uh, very good at it. Uh, but we decided that had to be a vital part of who we are. Uh, and then you fast forward three years later. Um, what happens is we go all online like everybody else. But if we could do it, we, we literally could flip the switch and be online in uh, six hours or whatever, maybe even less than that. Wow. Um, so it, it's been interesting to experience a positive um, during this uh, coronavirus thing. Um, we feel like we are having higher attendance. It's always hard to figure if that's true. We definitely are having higher offerings. That's a shock. Wow. The went up. Uh, decisions are clearly a lot higher. We have way more people uh, making decisions for Christ, and we have more people interactive in life groups and other things. So, and those we could count. We could count those better than the actual uh, what happens in the other. But, but I feel like it's just pretty cool to see how God moved us that way. For sure. Um, and that definitely does lead us into some of what we wanted to talk about here. And we want to ask you some questions even about the way that you are responding in the midst of the COVID crisis and all of that. But but because of what you just said, it kind of sets us up. When, when I was working with you and learning from you as an intern 20-ish years ago, one of the reasons that I was attracted to you and your ministry and that I so appreciated about you is that I felt like you weren't just doing whatever you saw other people doing. You weren't just going through routines. I felt like you were really innovative and thoughtful, and you were constantly asking new and different questions and and pushing us to think differently about the way that we were doing ministry. And I was curious about like what kinds of rhythms that you do that kind of help you to think in that kind of way. And so you're talking about that the elders do a 40-day fast every year. So I assume some things get birthed out of out of that sort of process. Are there uh, uh, maybe first tell us a little bit about like what that has looked like and what has been birthed out of that? 
I, I would say um, back when you and I were together, you know, we uh, had all of us who were, you know, volunteers doing that, team members doing that, but probably not as um, formalized. Uh, and by saying formalized, I don't want to make it sound boring. But so what we do is we know when the fast is going to start. And then we make an agreement not to talk about any vision, not to talk about any ideas uh, for 40 days, uh, which is the most important part of how we uh, interact uh, during that season. And so um, we've had three significant times we've done that since I've been here. Uh, that, and the reason is they were game changers for us. Uh, okay. But what happened uh, the very, very first time is we came into the room together and we said, all right, we're not going to leave till we all are in complete unity on what we believe God's telling us. Uh, an hour later, we were done. It, it, it was just so amazing. Wow. It was like, wow. Uh, and it became a big directional change for our church uh, because uh, we instituted a, an idea that's based on Exodus 24-7, where it says all that the Lord tells us we will do. And the word do is a saw in Hebrew, which means to do with all your might. And then we will shema understand. And so we kicked off a thing. And by the way, Plain Joe was a big part of our branding at uh, about called 24-7 Discipleship. Uh, and we soared in attendance and soared in uh, giving and soared in um, uh, people getting involved in ministry. Uh, so we knew God had guided us that way. Um, and so we did that again. And then just uh, a couple years ago, we did it again. So the idea is we walk in the room and then we begin to, we just literally go around the room and everybody tells what they got. Okay. And last time we did it, uh, was another one of those, you just wrote it down. And then at the very end, I had my notes that I show the guys, I go, Oh my goodness, look at this. We all got the exact same thing. Uh, and, and it's a pretty complex vision, um, because, uh, the vision is that we want to be a prophetic voice to a dying world. Uh, mm. and the prophetic voice is based on first Corinthians 14 that says, uh, the one who's a prophet speaks edification, exhortation, and consolation. So three years ago, we believed that we were called by God to uh, do discipleship, which we always do. We were also called to be a mental health center. Uh, we want to. Uh, we believe the church used to be a hospital for those who are physically in need. We believe the church today should be a mental health center for those who have mental health issues or relational health issues. Uh, so what I'm trying to get at is that gets really complex, and yet everybody got the same thing. Uh, yeah. So you go, whoa, that's, that's pretty cool, you know? So, yeah. That's um, so you do. Do you do that every single year? A process like that? No. Um, okay. And so, for instance, this year we clearly didn't do it because we only do it either when we really believe God's calling us to, uh, and or they kind of go together. We have not fulfilled the other vision. So um, we right now we're so in the midst of this one, right. uh, and and it gets pretty big. Uh, that we, we're probably not going to, we will fast and pray, but we're not asking for a vision and direction because I don't want to keep hitting the church with vision after vision after vision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you sense that? How do you know when like we've been giving them too many forward thinking ideas and we need to sort of sit in this a bit? Is that just sort of intuitive? Like, how do you get that? Um, I would say uh, the number one way is if we have not successfully in, enacted it, we're not ready yet. Um, okay. or if we realize, uh Oh, the door got shut on that one. Um, you know, cause we could be off base. We could be wrong. Um, so if we, we saw, uh, -oh, we got a big, uh, uh, door that closed on us that says, no, you guys need to go back. Kind of how Paul remember was uh, traveling and he felt right. called to go to Macedonia and God said, no. 
No, Joe, you just talked about, you know, the door being closed, and that's hard for a leader, right? Mm -hmm. um, because you, you're so excited, and you feel like God has called you down a certain path, and, you know, at that moment, all arrows are leading that direction, you know? Um, how do you how do you bring that up with either, you know, the elders or the team? When you feel like a door has closed, you know, how have you been able to kind of present that, um, you know, or cultivate that and, and kind of present that to the team? You know, how have you managed that? Um, I think that probably uh, it's funny you use the word arrows because uh, I don't know how severe it is, but definitely at first we thought the arrows pointed that way. And when you say, no, they did it, they aim at you. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be willing to take some shots, you know. Um, I would say probably depending on the degree of, of what, um, was not going to be accomplished and the waste that occurred in energy and resources, um, would help me decide how I handle it. Uh, the bigger the failure, the more, uh, I have to share it. Um, I have to share it with the elders. I have to share it with our, our, our staff. I have to share it in the church. Uh, it may require a genuine apology. Um, you know, and say, Hey, I, I was just off and I'm human. And, and, uh, um, and the eldership I have now would not allow me to do that if we, if I didn't say we are off, we're mm. off, um, because they're, this is a group that stands shoulder to shoulder. But, um, so sometimes it's a, it's a big enough thing that it's an actual failure. Uh, you guys know this cause you guys are leaders, but, um, that's not a bad thing. Uh, if you don't have any failure, um, then you probably didn't try anything. And, um, the last failure we had, uh, I was a little surprised cause I sat with the executive team and we're getting ready to do a debrief. And I said, well, I feel like this is pretty much a complete failure. And man, you should have saw their eyes like, whoa, uh, no, it's not complete failure. And I'm like, well, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is pretty easy to call. And, um, but it was interesting because they're a great group, but I don't think they had gotten, they didn't want to use the word failure uh, at that moment. Um, but I think that the good news about it is the vast majority of people um, will actually respect your leadership more if you can own it. Yeah. Um, and when we uh, do that, when we're transparent, where we're genuine, I think you're you're investing in an opportunity then to actually get them to go with you on a bigger risk later because they know you're not going to hide. Hmm. Um, yeah, and and I would I would completely agree with that, Chuck. And that's something that I I just love about your leadership. You know, working with you back in two thousand and seven and two thousand eight. I think a big part of that success, um, obviously it was God first, um, but your leadership and just being completely transparent, vulnerable, genuine, um, I, I think certainly helped uh, that situation immensely. I don't think things would have changed as much as they did uh, for the positive without those leadership skills. So I just wanted to let you know, man, how much I appreciate that. So I appreciate it. Yeah, I actually, I wanted to piggyback on what Blake said too, because I remember um, meeting with you a little while after you had taken over at Crossroads and I was transitioning into a leadership, uh, into the leadership of our church and was just learning from you about how to lead a church. And one of the things that you shared with me that um, has stuck with me to this day, and I share this with people all the time as they move into significant leadership roles, was there was, there was a lot, as you shared, going on at the church that you almost had to shut your doors. And while you were the new leader, you took responsibility for all of it. And I remember you telling me that you stood up in front of the church and you said, a lot of you are going to ask the question of who's responsible for this, whose fault is this? And you said, I'm the senior pastor. I'm responsible for it. 
I'm the one who's going to deal with it. I'm taking responsibility for it. And I do think that there's something significant about not just um, the trust that you gain in that, but I feel like the, the, the holding onto the weight of leadership in that sort of a way opens you up to take responsibility for the future of your organization as well. Would that be a, a fair assessment? Oh, I, I definitely think so. And, um, you know, Blake was with me back then. Uh, that we, it could have gone bad in the sense that people could have become bitter. Sure. Um, and we could not have moved a bitter church. Uh, and I know bitterness and divisiveness is never from the Lord anyway. So, um, you know, I had to be very, very careful uh, to be honest about what had occurred. Uh, so I actually had Blake uh, come up with a sheet <laughs> of all the debts we had that we were not paying. Um, but so we got as transparent as we could, but we also got uh, hopefully, and I actually at work. So looking back at work, you know, to say, hey, don't be looking at anybody else or pointing fingers or attacking anybody. Um, I'm here by choice. I'm here knowing this occurred. You know, Blake was there knowing it occurred. So we stepped in there to be with them and I wanted them to be with us so we could move forward in a positive way. Um, and so a few years later, I was able to actually bring back um, the senior pastor, who Barry McMurtry, who we love. And, and when he walked in and got on the stage, he got a standing ovation. He wasn't ready for that. Um, so he's crying and we're crying. And, and it was just God, you know, and, and the idea of doing that. But um, I do think that um, if it's my fault, I need to definitely own that. Um, and by the way, I would say for most people who are in high level leadership seats, um, which would include you guys, when you're sitting in that seat, in the end, it's always your fault. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so That's right. <laughs> you need to take responsibility uh, because you can't really, you know, blame. If you hired somebody and they messed up, you still are, are responsible. Yeah. So um, I think owning that and sticking to that's how uh, a leader has to be. And, um, and and so I, to be honest, it's not always easy. I mean, you can uh, it, you usually have sleepless nights through that. Yes, for sure. Um, I think because we have a lot of history, we could probably go back and recount a lot of um, things in history that you've done that we've learned a lot from you on. I'm curious about, though, as we like kind of want to think in this podcast a bit about like how do we lead into the future, ha um, ideas that are being processed that haven't come to fruition yet, but we're kind of thinking about and stuff to, to start to move into that a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about, because we're in the midst of, we're now uh, maybe a couple of months into uh, the COVID crisis and the way that that's affected churches and stuff. I would be curious to know, uh, I'm curious both like some of the things that you guys are doing that are unique um, for your church that like that you weren't doing before. But I'm also curious, like, how did you like make some quick decisions about here's how we're going to move forward. And we've got 48 hours to figure this out. Like what did that kind of process look like? Well, we knew uh, uh, like most churches that we weren't going to be able to meet. And so we had to go completely online. Um, and so, um, and then we also wanted to, uh, had a very unique uh, thing in the midst of that. Uh, Tim Roberts, who's the head of our creative arts uh, department, his youngest daughter had leukemia. So uh, that gave us a heightened sense of needing to protect everybody hmm. from any kind of infection. Uh, because even if we, he wasn't there, there's too good a chance somehow it would get to somebody who would interact. Um, 
so why wisely and you know we had to make even extra precaution decisions as we went online to how to keep people apart and keep them safe uh which after about two weeks later everybody had to do that yeah. <laughs> it was like forced you know so um but we moved quickly to it uh we uh were not ready for what we believe was this incredible response that uh I'm gonna, i call it the 9 11 surge remember september 11th yeah. happened and and every church shot up like high and to the right. Uh, and then almost all of us uh, a, a little while later came down, but way ahead of where we were. Um, so I believed uh, one is we're going to shoot high into the right. Well, we went higher than I thought uh, in more places than I thought um, with more activity than I thought. And so that's when right away um, we had already, the elders had already said online is important. I, I moved it up the priority list to, to actually number one. Uh, not just for this season, even after this season. So we believe that God uh, did something great, and I believe it was the Lord. I think just like God used the persecution to make the Jerusalem church spread around the world, he used the pandemic to make the church spread around the world. And uh, now the, I think a church should, and this is a, 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 a opinion for me and conviction for me, I think the church should never go back. I think we've got to start seeing ourselves as a global uh, force in each local congregation as much as possible. Uh, we've got to uh, elevate that, accentuate that. And so um, what we're doing now is we're trying to aim with a goal that only 30% of what we do is local and 70% of what we do would be beyond our local wow. setting. Um, well, wow, that's great. Yeah. Which, by the way, is cheaper. Uh, that's the other thing I don't think I was ready for. Uh it's um, and I don't know. We had a we wanted to do multi site and have never done it. Now I'm glad we did it. Yeah, because we don't have that investment. Now I'm not saying we never will, but um, we're gonna do. Here's our goal right now. Our goal is to grow clusters of people in different places all around the United States and around the world. So we've had people make decisions for Christ and come uh, even to our our first step class. You know that that first gathering class from many, many states uh, across the United States, and even from recently a woman from Austria. Wow! Since then, the woman from Austria has reached two other people who are now a part of what we're doing. So our thought is, how do we grow that cluster? And then how do we go meet up? The day we're allowed to travel, we'll do meetups where we have physical connection uh, to enhance them doing real ministry as a part of the Crossroads family, wherever they are in the world. So we have a cluster right now, Washington, a cluster that's large enough in Oregon, Arizona for sure, a big one, um, and then and then Michigan. Now, if they end up in other churches locally, we're not going to be sad. But our goal isn't that anymore. So our goal is to say, no, we're going to keep you as a part of Crossroads. And we're going to not feel like you have to be in a building to be a part of the church family. Um, so <clears throat> just like geography doesn't define our families— you know, I have grandkids in Syracuse and grandkids in Denver. I, when they moved, I didn't say, well, you're not a part of my family anymore, <laughs> you know. Um, but what, I, what we'll do is, uh, like, we have ministries we believe we can transfer there. Um, so, like, uh, Adopt-A-Blocks, a ministry we do where you go to an under-resourced area and you uh, do ministry with the people in that area and especially the children. So what if we had a group doing that in Michigan? Um, and they're a part of, and we resource them and we get behind them and we celebrate them. Um, and so we find out what their spiritual gifts are and we don't look at it as having to be done in a building that we own. We look at it as going out into the world and doing it. 
Um, I think that's going to be the new normal. Now we could be six, but by the time this is six months old, people may go up, oh, didn't work. I think it's going to work. Um, yeah. And, and I think we can, so our goal right now is content on our online campus that okay. leads to connection that leads to commitment. And so how do we move people uh, that direction is what we're trying to do. No, that's, that's great. And it sounds like, you know, you guys were planning this three years to go online. Um, and it really, you know, unless I've understood it incorrectly, it sounds like this really propelled that vision in many ways. Yeah, I, that without a doubt. Um, I, we, we had that as our uh, third priority and uh, we were slow getting there. <laughs> uh, and by the way, Plain Joe's a part of helping us get there. And I think you guys all know that we were we had reached out, but we were pretty slow moving. Um, we immediately uh, uh, got a hold of, uh, I, I right away emailed Peter in the midst of this saying, hey, we're going to have to have a meetup and uh, have you just give me all the advice you can quickly. We hired Neil Smith uh, based on Plain Joe's advice to be our advisor. Um, and he already has been like gold. Uh, and so that was cool. I started uh, f uh, digging in more and more and more to Transformation Church, and I already knew um, uh, Life Life Churches. We already have good connections with them um, to be able to learn from them. Uh, but you know, the first thing is, is what could we learn? What could we learn? Then how do we transfer it and make it us? Yeah, um, is is the what we felt? You know, because we believe. Um, that we could do something in, a, in an effective way, not because we're better than anybody, but we also know we're unique from other churches. So uh, we, the idea of being so big on connecting and going and visiting, I think is unique. I don't know of anybody else doing that. Yeah, it sounds really unique to me. How, how do you um, take somebody else, like something that you've seen done some somewhere else that's helped sort of like inspire you and you've learned from, and how do you figure out how to make it yours? How do you sort of like contextualize it? Do you guys have like a grid that you've set up? Is it just sort of intuitive? Um, yeah, I, I think it's pretty uh, well-defined. And now that I'm not hopefully going to say it in a well-defined way, <laughs> um, we have been huge on the idea of having very real connection. So Mike, I know when you were back with me and, and Blake, when you were with me, you know this idea of a passionate commitment to Christ, cause, and community is, is something we don't just say. In, in other words, if our church isn't really being a family, uh, if there's not, if, if uh, we have a big crowd, but we don't see them somehow sharing life together in some setting, some way, shape, or form, um, then that creates a holy discontent in us. So when we went online, we said, okay, if we can't transfer that, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. Mm. <laughs> um but we began to believe we could, uh, that we could transfer it. And so we began praying about it and asking it, uh, God, asking God, you know, should we go this direction? Um, so it, that also affects, for instance, how we count. Um, right now, uh, and I'm not, I'm not, by the way, I'm not putting down any other church because they got to do what's right for them. But we could get way more decisions if we use an online platform where it just says, click, raise a hand. And that's all you do. Uh, so, uh, and we started that way and we were getting astronomical number of decisions, but we didn't know anybody. There was no connection. Okay. Now God knew them, but I don't know them. And so we said, what if uh, we strategized a plan where they actually had to share information with us? Uh, and I, I got to tell you, it was, it was demoralizing because <laughs> you'd go from, I'm just going to give a, a, a one week, 200 and some people clicking, I raised a hand 
to five people giving us their name, their contact information, all that. And I'm going, it would feel a lot better to report 200, Um, (laughs) you know, but, but it wouldn't be us. And so we've been, we've been, and by the way, I think we can still do it better. I think we can work that, but, um, but, but that was, you know, a big deal. And so we're big on always asking people if they're ready to make their next step decision for Christ and then trying to walk with them. So just clicking a button and having a huge number of decisions wouldn't work. Just like when you guys have been with me, um, when a huge group goes for, or when, when I've done, and I, I do like a lot of pastors every now and then I'll do, Hey, raise your hand. We'll get like 10 times as many people raising their hands, but they won't come forward. So uh, we don't consider it uh, a success for us till they'll come forward till we can interact with them. Then we actually ask, will they go on to the next step? Um, so let's say we had a thousand decisions. Uh, the question is how many got baptized? How many got involved? Right. Um, and so we, those are things we're using to define. So connections big to our online campus. How do we actually know a name and connect and help them know their spiritual yeah. gift? Which is uh that is uh, that's great and and unique uh, and I love how you've connected that to the DNA of of Crossroads and who you guys are and how you operate. Um, just interested, you know, because you mentioned you know there was a lot of clicks for people that really didn't have to invest so much in in time, um, and you know when you when you put information in, there's another level of uh, kind of a commitment. So uh, yeah, Chuck, you had mentioned um, connecting uh, this idea of online church. Um, and, and making it a lot more relational in nature, uh, connected to, to one another um, as, you, as you've built this familial um, place of worship. And, and I guess one of the questions I would have is just what, because I'm really interested in knowing h- how do you take somebody who is remote and in a different country, you know, they go ahead and put information into the system. How, how do you take them from that kind of, yes, I'm interested, I want to be a disciple of Christ, and, and disciple them through your process there uh, locally. So what uh, what our plan right now is, and we're going to be testing it as we go, is uh, let's say you're you're in Austria. That's the one that actually is real. And so we, uh, I spotted their name. I spotted they were in the chat, which was a big step. My assistant reached out and got them to come to what we call first step, uh, which is the first step in connecting to the church. And then that the step after that is the alpha. Uh, we, we use the alpha group system. So this person then went ahead and signed up for that. So they've already made two steps with us. We also have continued to interact. Uh, uh, in the case, uh, my assistant now knows them personally. Plus, we realized two other people who do. And so we're looking for their web of relationships. Uh, we also are uh, saying as soon as this travel becomes easier, uh, we're gonna we're gonna send a team to go go visit. So uh, we we haven't come up with the number we need in the cluster to make that affordable yet. But um, but we may just do that one anyway. <laughs> and by the way, I've got a line of people who want to go to Austria. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so we would actually have teams travel there, have you know eat together, share together, you know for a couple of days, and and really pray with them and say. What could we do to help you grow in Christ more, including reaching more people? Uh, do, do you have some friends you can invite to dinner with us that we could get to be involved? And then try to decide, based on their spiritual gifting and their personality, is there some real ministry they can enact on their own? Which, by the way, think about this. 
a lot of times we have people come and we train them and we'll put them in like in children's ministry, which is awesome. Now we're sitting with them going, tell us how we can support you in doing ministry here that fits your spiritual gift. And we'll do everything we can to support you. Um, Again, if they end up saying, no, I need a local church, well, we'll help them find one if we can. But that's not what we're hearing from people. We've got to ask that zero right now. Uh, wow. And so um, so the idea is we go and do that. Uh, do you guys remember there used to be these backyard Bible clubs for kids? Yep. So what if like in Oregon, there's an area of Oregon that there just really isn't some happening churches. We could we go there, meet with that cluster, and and we find out they have a love for children. We say, we'll support you in doing uh, 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 that. We'll call it something better than a Bible club. But um, – but we would train them to do that. And we would, we would keep following up on that. The other thing we're going to do is the, um, uh, the counseling ministry, the exhortation counseling ministry we want to do to help people with relational issues or mental health issues. One of the things I discovered when I was being trained in this, there are an incredible number of places in the United States. There's no counselors. Hmm. I I mean, there's a, there's an area of of Colorado. I had a, a friend who's training and with me and their calling was to go to that area because there was literally no one, not secular, none. Um, wow. And, you know, we, we kind of forget that hospitals aren't everywhere. Doctors aren't everywhere and counselors aren't everywhere. Um, you know, and so now and one of the things a pastoral counselor in the United States can do pastoral counseling outside of the state they live in. A licensed counselor can. OK, um, but we could we could actually do genuine, real biblical uh, uh, counseling and therapy all over the world, especially to places that don't have it. Um, and so that's another aspect of what we want to be able to do. And we could do that using online and we could do that also with some travel. That's wonderful. I love that. I love the way that you're thinking about things, Chuck. I mean, it does feel very, very you, the, the connection thing being so important. I know that that's always been such an important part of, of your ministry and it's one of the things that I really learned from you. I learned, I well, I learned from you that you can preach for an hour and hold people's attention. Um, <laughs> I I had always been told that that wasn't possible, um, but but not everybody is a Chuck Boer preacher and able to do that. But the thing that's transferable that everyone could do that I learned from you was super high relational, super high touch, super high connection. Um, and I love that you're finding ways to do that even as you think beyond like local context and you're thinking this larger sort of, um, through digital connections. It's really great. It's really great. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. I'll tell you what, I get super excited. And, uh, you know, it kind of goes back to what we started with is that I'm going to, I'm unveiling this to the church now constantly, uh, six months from now, I may sit down there and go, it didn't work. Yeah. You know, but I, the one thing you guys know, and I know too, you got to go for it. You can't go halfway. Yes. You can't hope it works out. You got to just go. Yeah. It's the only way to figure it out. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if there's anything, um, and if there's not anything that's brewing or if there's not anything brewing that you're willing to share, it's totally fine. But I'm wondering if there's anything just kind of like rattling around in your brain that it's not, it's, it's not, um, percolated enough to sort of like get out there. It's not there enough that you're going to be experimenting with it yet, but you're just kind of thinking, you're like, I'm seeing these trends, I'm seeing these things. And here's how I think. Uh, here's what I think I might want to do to respond. And if you're to ask me six months from now, I may or may not have even moved on that, but I'm just kind of processing it. Um, no, not right now. I think the the things I'm looking at, we really are trying to do. Yeah. Um, the, um, the, the counseling issue is a big one. Um, 
uh, when I, um, I, I actually one day a week do counseling and people have to pay to be in it. Um, uh, and it's genuine real therapy, but I, I chose not to be licensed. I genuinely chose not to be because I don't want to be bound to the state of California. Uh, um, and I could get deeper, but anyway, what I found that's so interesting is people online may be more real in a counseling setting than people face to face. Sure. I've had people do stuff uh, sitting in their home and I'm like, well, praise God. I saw that one. Uh, because <laughs> when they come in the office, they're too respectful. Um, huh. and so, um, we have a dream to grow a, uh, a the beginning one was to grow a local counseling ministry. Uh, with both licensed and unlicensed counselors, because I'm not anti-licensed counselors at all, obviously, but to have uh, pastoral counselors and, and licensed counselors, and then to actually become the resource in our area for ourselves and other churches. Um, so now I'm realizing, okay, how do we do that? So that might be the percolation. How do we invest in that and do it online Yeah, uh, in all those places that don't have it? Um, and, um, because it really is, I mean, there's so many places in the United States and around the world, uh, you know, there's an area that we all, uh, care about in, um, Thailand where we have ministry going, there's just no counseling there. And, and we're rescuing people from sex trafficking who need counseling. Hmm. Um, so I would say, maybe I'd take that back. It's percolating. How do we actually make it real? Yeah. How do we get there? Um, when do I put the first investment in that? Uh, because um, it's the initial investment to higher quality people is going to be pretty significant. Um, and so, but in, we don't have unlimited resources. So I don't, I would say that's probably um, what's percolating and I don't know what we're going to do for sure. That's great. Yeah, that's really good. Um, well, I think we're going to move towards wrapping this up, but I want to tell you, Chuck, the thing I wrote this down because um, it really hit me the idea of this 40 day period of time where we um, are just fasting and we are not coming up with any ideas like that feels like this real restraint in order to sort of like wait on the Lord to brew something in a community of people who are entrusted with vision for your church. Um, like that was such a really significant, powerful idea for me. And I could even see that playing out beyond churches in organizations where it's like with your leadership team, that it's the idea of like, we're going to have this period of time where we're just going to, um, in some sort of way, like focus ourselves as a community, but without generating any ideas. And then we're going to come back together and see like what has brewed amongst us. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. It's fun to do. It really is exciting, but you're right. It's, it's, it is restraint. And you're going to, when you guys do it, if you do it, you're going to find yourself, uh, you know, five days in going, Ooh, and trying not to have that side conversation, yeah. you know, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's countercultural for sure, because it's not like we've become more patient people over time. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, but it is, you know, and most of the spiritual disciplines are that way, yeah. you know, they're countercultural and they, they cause us to pause and rest and uh, really rely on the wisdom of God and his leading. Um, and, uh, no, that's great. Yeah. Well, um, Chuck, I know you've been such a significant influence for both Blake and I, and we're so grateful to have you on here. We're really grateful that our inaugural episode is with you. you you've given us so much wisdom today, the way that you think about things, the way that you're responding to the COVID crisis, the unique things that you're doing in your church are 
are really, really powerful. I'm so grateful for you. I'm really grateful for your ministry. I'm grateful for your investment in my life. Thanks for, thanks for spending time with us today. Wow. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me and love being with you guys. That's good. All right. Well, thank you, sir. All right. We'll catch, we'll catch you on the flip side. Yep. And I'm going to be following the podcast. You guys have a good day. Well, Blake, I thought that was a really great interview. I really enjoyed Chuck. He was challenging and thoughtful. Give us some good things to think about. What are some of the the takeaways for you from from our time with Chuck? Absolutely. Uh, the thing I love about Chuck is he's always kind of pushing the edge, you know, and, and I think that's great. And and that's why, you know, we chose to, to interview him as a transformational leader. And one of the things that I really appreciated is even in the midst of kind of this COVID 19, uh, when church has been shut down, I think um, through his leadership, they've taken steps to innovate um, and thinking about what online church looks like, not only just domestically um, or even locally uh, for those who live nearby, but those who are international. And I think he gave a couple examples of that. And, and then there's a hard question there, you know, is, is the church, our, our, you know, our job is to disciple people. And so I thought he just gave some really good insight as to how uh, they would systematically disciple those who who may be you know uh, based internationally. So I, I thought that was uh, thought that was fantastic. Yeah. Um, the other thing uh, that I loved that that Chuck brought up was just his transparency as a leader. I think that word is probably a buzzword these days, but he really lives it out. Um, you, you know what I mean. And when he talks about an idea, you know, he can be the biggest fan. It could be his idea. Um, and uh, he has a lot of passion behind that idea, but he's, he's willing to kill it. You know what I mean? He's willing to look at it, I think, objectively and say, you know what? This isn't great. And, and let's not just hold on to that. Let's kill it because we need to move on to the next thing. And so I, I think that takes a lot of guts as a leader to be transparent, to say, hey, the idea that I had, the, the idea that I rallied, our entire staff around, or even our church, I'm going to have to be the one that gets up in front of people and kill that idea and tell them, hey, look, I thought this was good. It's not good. And we need to move on. Yeah, for sure. I, I was really struck by the way that he talked about and did take takes responsibility for the mistakes of the organization and that uh, that he can't he can't lead the church forward. He can't lead them into new spaces without taking responsibility for the mistakes that they've made that both are ones that he's made and ones that that maybe aren't his fault but he has to take responsibility for as a leader of the organization yeah and that was great, really significant yeah and a great example of that mike is when i came on with him in 2007 for a year of transition to turn around that uh, you know that church specifically you know he he just got up in front of the congregation and said you know regardless of, of the situation i'm gonna own everything that's happening right now and, and, and basically the buck stops here. Uh, he didn't look to the past. He didn't look to specific people to call out maybe some mistakes that have been made in the past. It's my mistake. This is my mess. And I'm, and I'm here to help. And, and uh, you know, kudos to him in that. And I think that was the difference maker uh, in, the, in the, the situation with Crossroads. Yeah, that's good leadership. Uh, I, I also really appreciated, and I think I mentioned this in, in the interview, but I loved how he talked about the idea of like restraining ideas in order to create space to come together. And the way that he specifically does that is that they create a time of fasting where they don't 
talk about ideas during that time. But but it's this like space of we're just going to restrain idea creation right now in order to come together to let something happen between us communally that could only have happened by us creating that space. I thought that was a really powerful idea. Yeah, that's a lot of discipline, right? <laughs> that's a lot of organizational discipline because, you know, uh, us as a society, it's like, what's next? What's next? What's next? You know, what's the next, the, the next big idea and how fast can we get it out? And, and I think his rhythm there, his discipline uh, has done a lot, especially for buy-in on, uh, buy on big ideas. I mean, it's something to kind of come off the mountain on high, right, and present something uh, to the staff. It's another thing to, to, to ask everybody to wait and to come together and ask how, how they feel like God is leading them and what are some of the ideas that, that God has given them to share. Yep, yep, that was great. Well, friends, we are so grateful that you joined us today on the Tomorrowland Church podcast. We're grateful that you are a part of our inaugural episode. I want to I let you know that today's episode was produced by Caleb Henry. Caleb is great. You should hire him. You can contact Caleb at caleb.m.henry97 at gmail. And uh, you can get in touch with Blake at blake at plainjoestudios.com. Or if you want to get in touch with me, I don't know why. Blake is much smarter than me. But if you want to talk to me, it's mikeg at plainjoestudios.com. We look forward to being with you and connecting with you again next time. Bye, everyone.